The process of temptation begins with the invitation for us to trust in our own wisdom and understanding rather than what God has clearly declared. You see, God doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't tempt us. But yet we see that our own wisdom, it is earthly, natural, and demonic. Welcome to this Friday edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is the daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And our teacher is Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church. Greg, today we continue our look at the enemy of our soul, who is Satan. And we'll see a few of the ways he brings about destruction and devastation to the lives of unwise and unprepared Christians. You know, Dave, uh, though Satan's end is sure and his days are numbered, uh, he is still a master deceiver, a liar, and a murderer who wants to destroy you and me. And if we're not careful, uh, we can become his next victim. So how do we protect ourselves from Satan? First of all, without focusing on him, we need to know what God says about him in the Word. Who is he? What are his powers? What are his limits? What are his tactics? And then in complete dependence and focus on Christ, we must apply God's word to our hearts and lives on an ongoing daily basis. Today, within the context of a focus on Jesus Christ, our Savior, we're going to consider our enemy's history, his fall, his limited power, and his ultimate end. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. Well, be sure to stay with us for the end of today's broadcast. Greg will join us in studio with some practical application. And I'll also be back with information on how you can obtain messages from the series for your own library. Now, let's join Greg for today's teaching. And you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you by the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade. You profaned your sanctuaries, therefore I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you, this is how do we know? The only people who know him are believers, know who he really is, right? All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will be no more. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. And then notice in Isaiah 14, verse 9, Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of all the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, Even you have been made weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp and the music of your harps has brought you down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. Now, it's thought that, first of all, it's speaking of the king of Babylon, the leader going to morphs into the one behind him. Verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven. There you go, that's not a man. O star of the morning, that's a light bearer. You son of the dawn, you have been cut down to earth. You who have weakened the nations, But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. 
So we have our enemy who was initially created perfect, but he sinned. He sinned because of his splendor. He sinned because of his pride. And God cast him down. And so we see that. And so we need to recognize that Satan, having been the most beautiful, powerful angel, having fallen, now in Scripture we see continually comes against God and his people. So we are to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Well, what are his schemes? Well, I think God gives those clearly to us in his word. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are not ignorant of his schemes. He's going to talk about how he uses unforgiveness and sins. He's going to talk about that. But we're not ignorant of his schemes, plural. Now, his names actually give us an idea. How God has named him, in a sense, gives us an idea of his schemes. Take a look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. This is where, after Christ has come victoriously to earth, his second coming, Satan is bound for a thousand years. And it says a thousand years. That's where we get our term millennium. He's going to be bound. He's not bound now. He's not bound spiritually right now. He's prowling about like a roaring lion. He's going to be bound. And so here we see his names. Notice the names. Notice what we see here. We have, first of all, he's called the dragon, right? And he says he laid hold of the dragon. This idea is a metaphoric description of a monstrous reptile. Think of it just a monster, right? He's a monster in a sense. Second, we have the serpent of old. That's spoken metaphorically of his the cunning serpent, the snake, referring to his wicked deception in the garden. In the garden, the serpent of old. He's the same one, same one, right? Third, he is called the devil in Greek, diabolos. And now not always can you divide words up and say this is what they mean, like butterfly. Does that mean a piece of butter flying across? No, but diabolos, dia through, bolos throw. He divides, he divides. That's what he is. He's the divides and separates. And lastly, the term Satan, which means adversary, adversary. He is a constant enemy and adversary of the people of God. That's what his name means, and that's what he does. Now, along with his names revealing his methods, we also see that he is called the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren, which helps us understand his schemes. Look in Revelation 12 and If you're a believer now, we're going to be here at that time, up in heaven, having been raptured by the Lord, and we're going to be praising God and singing these songs. Will we remember this day when we talked about it, when we looked at it at other times? Maybe, maybe not, but we will be there. Revelation chapter 12, and there was war in heaven. This is in the middle of tribulation, by the way. Middle of tribulation, there was war in heaven. Revelation 12, 7. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragonous angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. Amen. Isn't that great? And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives, there you go, the whole world. That's part of what he does. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels thrown down with him. Now, earlier in Revelation, it says that Satan fell, and metaphorically, he took with his tail a third of the stars. That's his first fall. But he evidently, like we see in Job, has access to heaven. We see him presenting themselves, the stars presenting themselves before the Lord. 
And here, no more access. He's thrown out for good, and he's furious. And that happens in the middle of the tribulation, by the way. Who deceives the whole world? Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for, and we're going to be saying this, I believe, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. You see, the heavenly scene is he's up there accusing us now, day and night. And now when we're up there, we're going to be at the Lord, no more sin, and we're going to see that he's accusing our brethren down the world day and night. You see, he is the accuser of the brethren. And that's why we need to be firm. We need to understand, as we'll see later on, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness because we are righteous in Christ, and there his, for his accusations do not hold or stick to us unless we allow them to sinfully by not believing what God has said. So then we have the accuser of our brethren. He's also called the tempter. We see, well, we see it in Zechariah chapter 3. He's the accuser also. Satan stood to accuse Joshua, the high priest, and the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. He's the accuser of our brethren. That's one of his tactics, one of his schemes. Notice also he's called the tempter in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 1. You can turn there. I'll read it for you, whatever you like. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. That's more of his schemes. Say he's going to come when you're vulnerable, physically sick, hungry, tired, whatever it might be. And the tempter came. Notice he says, and the tempter came. That's what Matthew, inspired by the Spirit, says. Came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we have here the tempter. Also, he's the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, and the tempter. And those are his names. They're very descriptive. And so here we also see his wicked stratagems in Scripture based on his character. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we see this. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus speaking to the Jews who didn't believe, the Jews who needed to be set free by the Son, and if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. They needed to be set free. And Jesus says to them in John eight forty four, You are of your father the devil. He's their spiritual father. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks in his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And we see in Scripture that he not always shares complete lies. He shares bits of truth with lies, which makes it a lie. He is a liar by nature, and he is a murderer. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, reveals that he has the power of death. That is the devil. He had the power of death in that, in his wickedness, he could declare what God declared, that the wages of sin is death. And when someone did not receive the free gift of salvation through Christ, he could declare he had the power of death over those who had not been set free from death by Jesus Christ yet. We see that. We see his actions reveal his motives. He is not only a liar and a murderer, but he's also, Matthew 13, the Lord's enemy, and he's our enemy. Now, Scripture also reveals that he's the disguiser. He disguises himself. He doesn't come with the horns and the pitchfork, and he comes in disguise. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. 
speaking of the false apostles, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers or workers of deceit, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, don't marvel, that's really what it says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He disguises himself. That's one of his schemes. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. We'll see Tobiah. He's a disguiser in our look at Nehemiah. He's actually, we're going to see in the passage we almost looked at today, he's out mixing it up with the men of Judah. And evidently that gets back and they start to naysay a little bit, you know. You see, he's one of those guys that mixes in and does things under the radar. Not so much under the radar here, as we'll see, but he's an evil man disguising himself. So what do we know about this? We know that the reality is we have an enemy, and his schemes are not that which we cannot understand or know. They are revealed in Scripture. We know that he prowls about like a roaring lion. We know that First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in the faith. He prowls about to devour somebody. We see that. He's looking for an easy mark. You know, if you look at those animal shows on TV in Africa, whatever it might be, you see the animals that are the easy marks, not realizing they're in danger, kind of straggling behind, and all of a sudden there's a lion coming up, you know, ready to get them. They're an easy mark. He's looking for an easy mark as a Christian, one who is not sober spirit, who is not on the alert. He's looking for that. We also know from Eve's example in Genesis that the tempter used deception. He was more crafty than the other. We see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Genesis 3, when indeed has God said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden. He's trying to deceive her, and he's going to go on later on, as you see in Genesis chapter 3, to make her feel as though, in his temptation, that her judgment is as good as God's. God said, don't do it, but Satan said, you'll surely die. Not. And the reality is he's trying to tempt her to lean on her own understanding, to trust her own judgment. Genesis 3, 2, And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You're missing out, Eve. You're missing out. And God knows that. He's holding back from you. But that's a lie. You see, the process of temptation begins with the invitation for us to trust in our own wisdom and understanding rather than what God has clearly declared. You see, God doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't tempt us at all. We see that in James chapter 1. But yet we see that our own wisdom, it is James chapter 3, earthly, natural, and demonic. We should not trust in ourselves, but the God who raises the dead. We are told in Proverbs chapter 3 that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We need to believe what God said, and we need to obey what God said. As we will see, we'll be protected from our enemy, Satan. You see, because he tempts us to lean on our own understanding, to believe things from a human perspective rather than from God's perspective. And we are vulnerable at times if we are not 
diligent and vigilant and on the alert. Like we'll see these guys working in the wall. They've got sword in one hand and they got their trowel in the other. They're holding stuff. They're vigilant. they got an enemy. They're realizing that, okay? We need to realize that as we do God's work. Now, one other major way that Satan does things is he capitalizes on our sin. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we know from Ephesians 4, we're to be angry, but sin not. We're not to let the sun go down on our anger, lest we give Satan a place. How many believers have given Satan a place? And it's an ugly, evil place. If you've ever seen a believer that's given Satan a place in their heart, it's ugly, it's evil, it's destructive. Don't do that. We know that when we're worldly, when we are in the context of seeking our desires, which causes conflict. When we are friends with the world, it's adultery towards God. Therefore, we need to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. We need to submit to God and resist the devil. He will flee from us. We need to confess and mourn over our sin in the context of humility. I mentioned this earlier. We also saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that he takes advantage of when we are unloving and unforgiving. We're not ignorant of his schemes. And Paul says in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan. That means as believers, Satan can take a temporal advantage of us if we are unforgiving. Don't do it. So then, how then can we be victorious over such a powerful foe who has so many different methods and so many different things that he can do? How can we be victorious over this? Well, we're going to see that it's only because the Lord God strengthens us. But before that, the Lord God wants us to understand something else. Another reason why we're to stand firm, a reason why we are to resist him God's way rather than man's way. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Back to our passage, chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the form of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then notice this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's people. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wow. The term people seem kind of easy here. We sounds like we got a whole network of enemies in the spiritual sphere. And yes, we do, all led by Satan, okay? But it's in the spiritual sphere. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And actually, you could translate this word here rather than for. It's probably better translated because here. It's the Greek word hadi. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's why we should be strong in the Lord. That's why we should put in the former. Because... Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against, you know, the Muslims, the dead denominations, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, the Pope. It's not against the progressive Democrats or the rhino Republicans. It's not against mankind. It's not against those who sneak in unnoticed and bring doctrines of demons, whatever it might be. Our struggle is not against those people directly. You see, Satan uses people to bring about his will, but that's not the people he uses is not who we're struggling against. And that's why we don't fight as if we're fighting against them. We need to fight, as we'll see, standing firm against him. We already saw earlier that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's not surprising his servants do the same. We recognize that. He's got servants, false guys, bad guys. We know that he's the ruler of this world, and Jesus shared in John 15 that the world's going to hate us because it hated him. 
I've shared this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul understands clearly our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but he is aware and how it comes forth, and therefore we need prayer to be protected from it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us, Paul says, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did with you also, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. There you go. He's trusting the Lord, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. From the evil one. That's where it's ultimately coming from. You see here, we have the reality that although Satan is our enemy, it does come through his minions, those who are held captive, as Paul would say to Timothy, to do his will. Those who have not been saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, those who have given Satan a place, or whatever it might be. First Thessalonians chapter two, Paul says, For we wanted to come to you, yet I more than once, yet Satan thwarted us. He thwarted them through people. Yet that's not our enemy. In first Thessalonians chapter three, we see that Paul was concerned for the faith of these Thessalonians. He was concerned that Satan would have gotten to them through people persecuting them. Let me read this to you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. That's the important part. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But Timothy has now come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and your love and that you're always thinking kindly of us. So then, the face of our struggle against Satan often comes in the context of men and men and women, right? But also, hey, we can get tempted really easily on our own with no one around, right? I mean, I think more often than not, it's those temptations that come across our minds. We give way to worldly thoughts. We have temptations. We are to resist the devil. God says no temptations come upon you except that which is common to man, but God is faithful to provide a way of escape that we might endure it. Remember, Satan is the tempter. Is a tempter. And if he's going to tempt Jesus, he's going to tempt his people, right? He's going to do that also. So then, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but notice who it's against back in our passage, verse 12. Against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Man, that's a group of bad, bad, evil things, right? Bad, evil, spiritual dudes, right? If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you, thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org.
Greg, at the end of your message today, you tied anger to an opportunity for Satan to get into our lives. So take a moment and explain that a little bit more. You know, Dave, Scripture is clear that when we are angry, we give Satan a place in our thoughts and our attitudes and ultimately in our behavior. Now, the Scripture does say we are to be angry and not sin, but it also says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The reality is truly righteous anger in the life of the believer is really quite rare, even when justified. And we are warned that even if we are irritated by nighttime, we're not to let the sun go down on our anger and thus give Satan a place. And I would venture to say that the majority of our anger is not righteous anger, and therefore we are giving Satan a place in every one of those situations. Brother and sister, we need to turn quickly from anger, confess it, guard our hearts, be forgiving, put away all anger and wrath and malice, as God would say in his word. And if you have even irritation towards someone, by the time you go to bed, you open the door to give the enemy of our soul a place in your thinking. This is really dangerous. Confess it right now. Repent. Turn to God. Don't allow Satan to gain a foothold in your life. Again, don't allow the sun to go down on your anger. As we close today's broadcast, it's our prayer that the Word of God has done its work in your life and that you've been challenged and encouraged to follow Christ more closely. If you're receiving spiritual benefit from equipping the saints, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift today? Every gift makes a difference. No gift is too small, and every dollar is put right back into the ministry. To send a gift to Equipping the Saints, call us toll-free at 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to donate online, our web address is etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Well, we hope you'll make plans to join us again next time, right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints.